0: welcome to the you can make a living in the music industry podcast from nashville tennessee i am your host john martin keith celebrities working class musicians and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories encourage you and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry this episode is brought to you by eden Brook productions Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. This week, I am talking with my friend, Christina Benson of the Sync Licensing Agency Suite On Top, who I have the great privilege of writing for. We're talking about what she does as a sync agent, what it takes to start your own sync agency, if that is something that you are interested in, and making sure you understand how the business works before you reach out to get an agent if you're wanting to write for a sync licensing agency. Grab your pen and paper. Get ready to take lots of notes. All right, guys. I am talking with my friend Christina Benson from the licensing agency called Sweet on Top. How are you today?
1: Good. How about you?
0: I'm so good, thank you so much for coming on my show and talking with me and my audience and sharing who you are and what you do um, within the music industry. And I'm very grateful to have you on.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: You're very welcome. So just for our audience to know how we know each other, um, like I said, you've got a licensing agency, You, you work in sync licensing, and I've been very privileged to have multiple songs signed by you and your company that you are pitching on, on my behalf and some of my co-writers and trying to get our songs out onto TV and film commercial projects and things like that. And, um, so we've known each other for, I think almost two years now. No way. Yeah. It's getting close to that A year and a half at least.
1: Okay. I'll take that. I'll buy that.
0: <laughs> Maybe not two years, but <laughs> you're year, a year and a half at least. So. Um, but time flies when we're having fun, right? Yep. Yeah. So, well for our audience, I know it's we're going to do a kind of a shorter interview today because you got a super busy schedule. So uh, thank you for, your, for taking time out to talk with me. But um, if you can, real quick, just kind of give us a brief history of who you are, where you're from, and what got you into music and has led you up to where you are now.
1: So I'm born and raised in Southern California, which is pretty fortunate because there's a big music industry out here, so I don't have to go too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been into music. I started taking piano lessons when I was four and violin lessons when I was eight. I played an orchestra um, in high school. I, When I was went to college, I majored in vocal performance and learned how to sing uh, classical music. I studied opera and oh, wow. um, was a heavy lyric soprano. And then when I graduated, I mean, I had to really think very hard and very long and very honestly about how realistic it would be for me to be an opera singer and if it was something I was truly willing to do because of sacrifices. I mean, for anyone participating in the music industry as an artist, there are obviously sacrifices, but for an opera singer, it's kind of above and beyond. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty serious. And I just had to realize that I wasn't really I really honestly wasn't good enough because there's there's an insane amount of competition, especially for women vocalists.
0: Mm-hmm. And I just
1: didn't really think I was ready to make the kind of sacrifices um, that it would take anyway. So at that point, um, I didn't know anybody who worked in the music industry other than as like an opera singer. I didn't know, or, or a teacher, I didn't know that it was really possible for just a regular person to make a living wage in the music industry. And I stress that because, I really feel like when you grow up knowing somebody, it really makes a difference in terms of what you see as possible. Like I didn't know that the job I have even existed. I didn't know that a music supervisor existed. I I didn't understand that. The way I sort of had a dim understanding of that was I started playing in some punk bands and in some garage bands. And one of the bands I was in Um, was signed to a local record label called Flapping Jet. And then I remember them talking about licensing, but it sort of vaguely rattled around in my brain. I didn't really get it. And then finally, when I went to graduate school, I ended up going to graduate school because while I was playing in all these garage bands, I was working in real estate, which as you know, did not end up going so great in 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, well, I'll just go hide in grad school. And um, I got a PhD from UCLA. And while I was doing that, um, I continued working In one capacity or another in the music business first as a journalist covering music and then for a company that um, was kind of like a tech company and a music company at the same time that wanted to it's confusing to say what it did like most companies but they basically wanted to connect audiences with bands in their in their locality and then when i graduated and had my phd even though I had like a dozen publications, single author publications, tons of conference presentations, I just wasn't finding jobs. The academic job market is really dismal. I was, however, getting offers to work in the music industry. And one of the most compelling offers was to do a r for a licensing agency. And the question I'm sure your listeners have is like, how did I get that offer? And right. just like everything in the music industry, it really boils down to who you know, Um my now husband is also a pretty serious music journalist, and he covered a band when he was the editor of OC Weekly called The Intelligentsia. The lead singer of that band um, is Nick Waterhouse. And Nick Waterhouse is a fairly well-known musician. And when Nick made his first 45, he sent it to Chris and said, hey, um, do you know anyone who'd want to put that out? And so Chris gave that record to Innovative Leisure, who ended up still putting out Nick's records and um we still kept in touch with nick and at one point uh we needed a lawyer for something and the lawyer that nick referred us to happened to have a wife that had a licensing agency that was familiar with my journalism and that's how i became her a and r person wow <laughs> so i mean <laughs> i an, guess this, that's a long n- way no. of saying for like the four word secret to succeeding in the music industry is it's who you know
0: right now that makes complete sense but what a cool story though you know of how those things connected for you open the door for you to do that
1: yeah i mean like if chris hadn't covered that show at chain reaction in like 2002 or whatever i don't know i don't know know?
0: yeah now when when she offered you that position did you know what it was like what you would be doing or it's just
1: no actually i really had no idea i had a vague under at this point i had a vague understanding that like I had a vague understanding because we were, because I'd seen people that I knew or who I knew who they were at this point from covering them as a music journalist appear in commercials and in television. And I understood that they didn't magically get on television and in commercials. Like I understood Mm -hmm. that there was a mechanism through which that happened, but I still wasn't super clear on how that worked. So when this agency, um, which doesn't, it kind of exists now, but under the umbrella of a bigger publishing company called Anthem Music, when she was like, do a for me, I didn't really understand what was happening. So I was like, can I come into the office? Because remember, I have a PhD and no job at this point. So I'm not really doing very much. I was like, can I just come hang around your office and um, kind of see how it works. And that's how I became familiar with how the whole system works. And then I just sort of started consulting for her doing A&R. And then the company at the time for various reasons had a little bit of a high turnover and I just happened to be in the right place. Again, it's, it's who, you know, and the other thing is right place, right time. That's another four word sentence, I guess, right place, right time. Um, a bunch of people left and I ended up sort of going very quickly from being a consultant to being the music director in about a two year spirit, two year space of time.
0: Mm. So let me back up just for a second, because you're talking about being a music journalist. Is that what you started out as in yep. in the music industry? Um, real quick, can you ex- talk a little bit about how you got your first opportunities in that position as a journalist? You know, because a lot of people listening are thinking about, you know, wanting to go into music journalism, but they're trying to figure out how to get their foot in the door just to even do that. You're not you know? going to
1: music journalism. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's your like they i mean there's i'm not going to i mean there are obviously still journalists and journalistic outlets outlets doing incredible work but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's really it's like i don't know it's in a state of decline and collapse because of social media you just don't really need you don't really don't need it anymore it. you know yeah. you and i found more and more outlets basically just hit cut and paste on pr releases I mean, I think you're probably going to be better paid and do more of the things that you think a journalist is doing at this point if you just work for PR. Um, There's, I mean, if you have any interest in paying any bills whatsoever, like music journalism is not going to be the way to go for you. Like PR probably has its own challenges. I don't think I'd be well suited for PR, but you're going to have a much better chance of paying any bill at all. And you'll be able to do a lot of the stuff that music journalists still do.
0: Perfect. That's great. That's a great bit of advice. I appreciate that. So, okay. Well, then let's jump forward then and and keep talking. So you're you worked your way up to um, what would, what was the position again? When director. Just music
1: director. I think I also director. I don't know. It was a small company, so we could kind of like we couldn't like make up titles. I couldn't be like you know <laughs> the astronaut of the company, but like we could play right. around with our titles because it was a small company. So I think my official title was music director, or maybe sometimes yeah. it was director of licensing. I forget which.
0: Yeah. And plus a a small company and not many people, you got multiple things that you're having to do just with inside the company, you know? So, yeah, you know, um, so how long were you there before you started sweet on top?
1: So I was there, I think two and a half, three years. And, um, so by the time I left, I was basically doing a lot. I don't want to say all because I mean, there were other, I was overseeing, I'll put it that way. I was overseeing just about all of the day to day. And I was like, why am I doing this for someone else? Like I should be doing this for me. I mean, if a license went out the door, like I looked at it. If, if an agreement was signed with an artist, I negotiated it. Like I did a lot and I, you know, and I respect the fact that like it, it, in the end of the day, like it was going to be tough. I mean, like she started her company, I get it. And she wanted to sell it to Anthem, which ended up working out great for her. But I didn't really want to go that way. I thought it would be the the best thing for me to be, would be to start my own agency. Mm -hmm.
0: And that makes total sense. You know, to do that, when you've put that much time and effort into something, once you understand it and you can branch out onto your own, you know, I think that's encouraging for people to hear that, okay, you can go work for someone, learn the ropes and kind of get your get your experience, uh, working underneath someone else who's, who's already doing that. But once you've got all that figured out and know how to implement it yourself, it makes total sense to go start your own company, you know, and, and create your own, your own brand.
1: Yeah. I mean, I will, the one, a couple things made it, uh, possible for me. First of all, um, like I'm from Southern California, so I didn't have to pick up and move somewhere to, to do it. I think if I'd had to like move to New York, it just wouldn't have been feasible because it would have been just way too expensive. Sure. Um, and the other thing is while I was working there, I, I lived in Long Beach in a place that was super cheap. Um, so I was able to save a ton of money. Like we were paying like $800 a month for rent, which is insanely low in the LA metro area. The other thing that made it possible is that the company I worked for was really, really small. Um, at larger companies, there's a lot of division of labor between teams like you'll have even it's even divided. You have the people who pitch for TV, the people who license for TV, the people who pitch for video games, the people who license for video games. Then sure. you have the a and licensing video. I mean, like it's so divided um, <clears throat> and it makes sense to do that at a bigger company. But we were so small that, you know, I was doing really a little bit of everything. And so no. if I had been like cordoned off just doing television licensing, I think it would have been a lot more challenging.
0: Really? Okay. As opposed more challenging to focus on one thing than focus on multiple things? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Well, I mean,
1: how am I going to start a company if all I know how to do is oh, make a license for television? Right. You know?
0: Absolutely. Sure. No, I, I, got, I got you. I, I, I know what you're saying. Um, so, okay, I have a, a question. What the Sweet on Top, mean where did that come from
1: oh i just thought it'd be well i had this thing where i would have the pub like the licensing part called sweet on top and then the publishing part called funky on the bottom and then i learned that it's like an extra 800 dollars <laughs> and lots of paperwork to have two separate llcs and then i'd have to have two websites and then i was just like that's too much work so everything's sweet on top
0: gotcha <laughs> i wanted
1: something that people could spell where the URL was available, where there was nothing, no company of that name filed with the Secretary of State in California, and where the social medias were open. And I went through a billion names, and then every single one of them, my husband was like, that's terrible. No one will like that. And it was, ugh, it was the worst thing on earth coming up with this name. It's like the hardest part.
0: Yeah, try to figure out a name. <laughs> that's awesome.
1: And I would like focus group the name and someone would be like, that reminds me of this horrible thing. And I was like, ah. And finally, when I came up with Sweet on Top, it was the one that nobody hated. And I was like, that's it. I'm sick of this yep. process. There you go.
0: Well, that makes sense. That's good. So what do you do at Sweet on Top? Like explain just for listeners that are wanting to get into sync licensing and they artists or writers, um, you know, What is it that you do? What are you looking for when you're trying to sign writers and uh, just kind of give us the overall view of that process?
1: So what I do, I mean, like if someone, when my family basically, my mom knows what I, my mom gets what I do now, but like when members of my extended family who still quite don't get what I do ask what I do, the way I put it is I negotiate um, opportunity. I seek out and negotiate opportunities for artists to license their music for placement. In audiovisual media and then they don't really understand what that means and I have to explain that. But I mean I'd, I'd say that's a good, um, a good summary. I seek out the opportunities by meeting with supervisors, by keeping on top of all of the TV shows and content and media. like there's so much out there, movies, promos, everything that's being produced. So I seek out opportunities by keeping on top of that. I procure the opportunities not just by pitching, but by proactively servicing projects to supervisors that I think will meet their needs. If an opportunity comes my way, um, I negotiate as favorable terms as possible on behalf of the artist. Um, And this is really more for master side licensing. Well, if if you have no publishing deal, it's master and sync licensing. We also have a publishing company. Um, where we'll sign artists or writers to publishing deals. We will help develop them. Um, we'll try to secure them cut songs. We'll set up opportunities for co-writes with other writers. We'll seek out sync license or sync writing camps or just writing camps for them. We'll advocate for them if there's a concern about splits during co-write sessions. Um, and we'll send them very detailed briefs to write to.
0: So when a a music supervisor reaches out to you and says... Uh, we're looking for, you know, singer songwriter Americana for this particular show. Mm-hmm. Then, how often do you like? You've got a catalog of artists. And so, for the artists that you work with that have music in that genre, um, how many songs do you think you would send at a time to the supervisor, f- you know, for potential options for them? Does that make um, sense?
1: For it, a lot of it, sometimes depends like if you really know the supervisor well I mean, it, it just sort of depends like sometimes supervisors now are getting so inundated with music that they'll put like top five best options and they'll tell okay. you top 10 best options gotcha. um otherwise you should probably send 10 to 12.
0: okay so i'm just trying to get a feel for for listeners to to know because i think what's can be overwhelming for us on this side of of what's happening as as a writer and artist, you know, we're constantly writing, we're constantly, you know, submitting songs to you guys, to, um, you know, hopefully get songs signed, so that you'll pitch them on on our behalf. But then I think some, some artists are never sure of, you know, how often does my song get pitched? Um, You know, when, if a supervisor is saying, you know, we need, you know, we need songs for this brief, you know, you get this huge catalog of music, you know, is my music getting, getting buried in, you know, in with everything else and how does it get pulled out to be the one considered? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you I know? think it's an
1: understandable concern, like from an art, I mean, you know, remember I've been on the artist side too, when I was right. playing in my weird punk bands, but like, I get that. I get being concerned that your music is just sitting on the shelf, gathering dust. Um, and the way you can make sure it's not like, don't, pester your licensing agent, but it doesn't hurt to pop up on their radar every three or four months. I would discourage you from asking the question, any feedback because supervisors, it's like, they just don't really give feedback. It's pretty rare. Um, When I'm pitching, I just pretend like it's going into a black hole because maybe 60% of them even write back and say, thank you. But usually they're so busy that they just Click the link, download, click, let's, you know, that's all they're really doing. But I mean, I don't think it hurts to every three or four months, email your licensing agent or your publisher and say, Hey, I'm just want to make sure that you have all the assets that you need from me. I'm also going to be doing some writing in the next few months. If there's any holes in your catalog that I could help fill, let me know. I just want to update you on my union status. I'm not union still. I know that comes up sometimes, like give them Mm. information that they might conceivably need. um, And So they know that you're there and so that you demonstrate that you're responsive to them. I I don't think that can hurt. As for making sure you're being pitched, the bottom line is if your song doesn't fit the brief, it's probably not going to go into a folder.
0: Yeah. And I think as far as like, you know, if your song is getting lost, I think it's just a matter of. You know how many? If you got so many artists, and then so many songs on top of that, you know you got hundreds of songs, and it's just kind of the thought of okay, is the is our is the music just kind of getting dropped into this huge conglomerate of other songs, and how does it ever make its way to the light of day <laughs> to even get to a supervisor? I think that's the thought that that a lot of artists are are kind of always kicking around in the back of their head. You know, especially when there's when. You know, there's always pitching, and then there never seems to be any movement from. Dude, you you and both.
1: It's. I mean, it's us too. Like I don't make money (laughs) unless my artists make money. Like I. Yeah. I I get it. Like there's some songs that I have pitched a billion times, and I'm like, this is such a good song. I have pitched a song probably 500 times, and I've gotten nothing. Nothing. Um, But you just have to have faith that like the hand will come out of the sky one day, and they will license it.
0: Yeah. And it just takes time. We like we all have to just remember it just takes time for all of this. This is a very slow moving process. Oh
1: my God, it is a slow moving process. And you know, sometimes things are happening that we don't know about or that I don't even know about. Like I ran sure. into a supervisor last week and she goes, Oh, I have a bunch of your songs in one of my projects. Oh. And I was like, Well, that's cool. And it was a project I'd pitched on in, in August. Okay. But I haven't gotten that- a request.
0: Okay, so but she's but you're saying that she's telling you that it's it's moving it's moving forward or that she's holding on to them as potential.
1: No, that means what it means is it's in the picture, but they haven't locked picture yet. What I'm guessing and when divining just from my experience is that it's in picture. They haven't locked picture, so she's not sending out requests yet until they know exactly how long the use is going to be and making sure that no scenes get cut.
0: There you go. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. That's interesting. It's good to hear that to know that. because I think I think for artists most of the time and writers that we come from the perspective or we hear, you know, if the song is getting, if you're pitching a song on, just for me, let's say you're pitching one of my songs and, you know, we don't hear anything for a while. Well, the thought is that unless the supervisor signs off and says, yeah, we're going to use it. And then we sign a contract saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to move forward and then it's getting placed. We don't think of it as, oh, wait, they're putting it in, they're putting into the picture with the, with the uh, plan of actually using it, but we're waiting for it to get locked into place before we send out the contract.
1: No, it's it's not. I mean, like maybe for TV, things move a little faster, but for film um, or even for, I think it just depends on how supervisors, each supervisor clears things. Like on a couple occasions where I was helping clear for films, we would put the songs in, we would, we would send out a search and then we would test, we'd send out a search. We would get the folder of songs. We'd send it to the director. The director would pick some and then she would, we would, the editor would marry it to the picture. But then like, we still wouldn't know, is this scene going to be five minutes long, three minutes long? Is it, is the scene going to stay? Like, so sending out a million requests when you're not sure isn't productive, especially when you're dealing with majors, because then I know, okay, I have 10 songs with Warner music master. I'm going to send them all out at once. And then I'm going to do this negotiation as a neg- like as a block, you know what I'm saying? So sure. with film, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way.
0: Yeah. Now let me ask you this just out of curiosity when, because of it working that way, um, how much does that affect what the sync licensing fee would be? Because determining if okay, they're going to use it for a minute and a half versus three and a half minutes once they know for sure how long it's going to be in the scene. How much is that, does that affect or does it affect what the sync license?
1: Oh, if you're Lizzo, it totally affects it. But like if you're an emerging artist, it's sort of like it gives you room to push back if someone's like hey will you take $5000 background vocal you can be like you're using the full song and it's an interrupted use i think that more is appropriate so it does give you room to push back if someone offers you a low fee but when you're an emerging artist it's not as it, you have less flexibility for negotiation and that's kind of the reality of the landscape right now is that there is a glut of people producing music And you'd think, well, there's a glut of content. But remember, the content is probably 80 to 90 percent of the content is being made by four or five entities. Mm -hmm. You know, so they have a monopsony. They have a monopsony being like a monopoly as the seller, a monopsony as a buyer. So they have the ability to price low because there's only like four or five of them making 80 to 90 percent of that content. Like I'll give you an example, like back in 2015. I got a request for a Netflix show and it was one of the first requests for Netflix that I got because it was before they really exploded on content. And it was for this great band, but that no one's heard of. And it was for like 9,000 all in for background vocal, which is pretty high for background vocal for a band that nobody's heard of. And so I called the supervisor and I was like, Hey, um, I don't, want to tell you not to give me money, but I also don't want to get the band all excited, discover there's been a mistake and then have to call them again and tell them it's really supposed to be like 5,000 or 3,000 or whatever. And she said the fees for Netflix are higher because the backend revenue, like the PRO money is much lower. So the music budgets are higher to compensate for that. Now, four years later, as you know, they've totally abandoned this idea that the budget should be higher, and in fact, the budgets are kind of lower than television for the non-flagship shows. Okay. Yeah, I know. huh? Sorry, I'm not giving your listeners good news. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, well,
0: no, but it's stuff that we. <laughs> but it's stuff that we need to know. You know, like that whole, uh, the whole Discovery Channel uh, debacle that you know we just recently went through as composers, and you know, with them wanting to pull out and not pay what you know were due and all those types of things. And I know they, they backed off of that. And so things are moving forward as standard as it has been. but um, but that, and I know that Netflix is another company that they've talked about being kind of in that same uh, space of what discovery was trying to do as just, as opposed as not paying out what, as much as they used to that kind of thing. Oh so yeah. Not, I mean, <laughs> the first
1: time I got a Facebook request for a PRO direct performance license buyout, I think it was $3,500 buyout in addition to the license fee and i really Mm -hmm. really didn't want to do it but i was like the first month i had my agency so i wasn't in a position to say no i gave the option to a bunch of my artists and writers some of them chose to go forward they wanted to be considered for this with this extra 3500 but then the next time i got a facebook search come around um it there was none of this extra money there was no extra money for the buyout you know what i mean yeah it was just licensing fee
0: and that's pretty much what it is. Just kind of standard across the board now for them.
1: I from
0: have what you know. only
1: gotten a few requests for Netflix or sorry for Facebook. And um, I'm concerned that this is going to start being the standard yeah. in. Look, I, I want the, the shows that Facebook is making. I don't have any idea how to watch them and no one can tell me, but from the descriptions that I'm looking at, they seem very creative. Facebook is a disruptor. I think that they can, can and are probably doing amazing things and generating amazing content, but I want my artists and my writers to be paid fairly. So I, I really think that everyone should really think very carefully about the precedent they're setting when they agree to these buyouts.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what are you as, a, as an agency, a suite on top, what kind of music are you mostly looking for for or are you getting requested for that that you need
1: well i'm always looking for vintage i love vintage i understand vintage and they're not making any more of it so that's something that's been i don't want to say it's been immune to downward pressure on price but it's been able to stand its ground pretty well because there's just frankly a limited supply of vintage music out there so if anyone has vintage catalogs hit me up i would love to talk about representing it since i I feel like I understand it well, and I'm in a good position to represent it. Um, As for contemporary music, um, I'm always looking for clearable hip hop, clearable Latin, um, pop, uh, like well, you know, honestly, anything that is produced well um, and is sync friendly, I'm not gonna say no to hearing. Okay. I am sort of drowning in songs about best day. I'll say that. But (laughs) I don't actually, I just realized, especially over the holidays, I really don't have a lot of songs about, um, happy songs about home, happy songs about time passing. Um, so those are themes that I don't really have at the moment. And really no matter the genre, if it's good, if it's sync friendly, if it's, um, and even if it's not that sync friendly, but it's just really good, I'm always down to take a listen.
0: That's cool um what what advice would you give because i know we gotta we gotta get off here in a minute so you got stuff to do but um what advice would you give to artists that are looking to get into signing with a, with a licensing agency such as yourself whether it be you or someone else but just in general um some advice that you would encourage them with and then also for someone who is thinking about um uh, getting into sync licensing as starting their own agency or working for another agency that does licensing um, some, maybe some tidbits, uh, some, you know, quick how to's of the best do those types of things.
1: So I'll go backwards in in terms of person, like with your questions, in, in terms of people thinking of starting their own sync licensing agency, I would say definitely work for them, work for licensing agencies and publishers first. Okay. Um, Having a sync licensing agency in a way is it seems like it is an easy business to start because the startup costs are kind of minimal, but you have to remember you're dealing with copyrights and intellectual property and you're engaging with some of the biggest, most powerful companies on the planet, like Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Disney. Um, so it's really important that you know what you're doing. It's important that you know how to draft contracts, read contracts, um, be comfortable. I mean, I can't tell you how often at my agency and at my old agency that I'd be CC'd with lawyers and you're expected to, you know, be able to hold your ground and, and understand and be on their level and converse with them and you got to know how to do that stuff. Like the creative is really a very small part of it. The rest is a lot of like reading contracts. Um, As for artists interested in signing with an agency, I get a lot of artists who um, are interested in signing with an agency. And um, actually that's not true. I get some artists who are not, they have not taken the opportunity to kind of educate themselves um, so it's kind of surprising to me how many I get that don't know what a PRO is, don't know, um, what a, the difference between a publisher and a licensing agency, and that's okay. It's confusing stuff, but I would say, um, there's so many free resources online. Take the opportunity to educate yourself so you can ask good questions.
0: Yeah, that's great. I see that a lot, uh, especially on social media on different, like on Facebook groups and different things like that. People that are new uh, newer getting, trying to get into this kind of stuff. And they're always asking questions. I don't know much about this or that, whatever I'm looking to do that. You know, it's like, definitely you gotta be educated because one of the things that I've learned over the past few years doing this is that, you know, if you don't understand how the thing, how things work, then agencies such as yourself or supervisors, if you're able to get in touch with them, if they see that you don't know what you're talking about, then that's pretty much game over for you because they yeah. don't, have, I mean,
1: I mean, I only have so much time. Like I can, to- I, I understand that when an artist is signing a licensing agreement or like a representation agreement, they want to go over it carefully and understand it. And I am sure. totally happy to do that. But then when they're asking questions, like I was on the phone with an artist last week who was like, but what, what is a placement though? That sounds really ill-defined. I was like, I can't, can't,
0: <laughs> right.
1: There's like a point where it's just kind of like, it may, the reason why it gives me pause is because it makes me think like, well, if I ask you to approve something, are you not going to understand what's happening? Are you not going right. to understand the basics of what I'm asking you to do? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's why it gives me pause. And the other thing I'd say is a little, a little learning is a dangerous thing. So like when you're educating yourself, keep in mind that like, there's a world out there of stuff, to learn and always be open to the fact that there's more stuff out there that you might not know. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. learning is good, but a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, I'll
0: put it that way. Sure. And I, I think it's also smart to to put yourself with other people that are doing the same things that you're wanting to do, that are already already having success at it so that you can ask them questions because they, they do know, they do have a better understanding and they can help kind of guide you along the way. And exactly. Not You know, fellow artists and writers, producers, and not then that way they're not um, interrupting you as an agent or a supervisor. You know, because you're not ready for that information yet from them. You know, exactly.
1: Like I said, everyone should educate themselves. Everyone should ask good questions. Everyone should. um, But when I say a little learning is a dangerous thing, there are a lot of sources online. But make sure you're critically thinking about them, reading them. Being like, well, who wrote this? What is their angle? What is their experience? Why would they like who published it? What is their point of view, et cetera? And make sure that if you're getting information from them, go find two more blogs that are writing about the same topic and then see if you can get a well rounded perspective on it.
0: Yeah, perfect. That's great. Well, Christina, thank you so much. I know we got to jump off here because you got um, a, a big schedule today, but I want to thank you so much for coming on and just taking some time to talk with me and share with my audience, you know, what you're doing. I was sweet on top and just kind of giving lots of good tips and instruction to help them, you know, listeners further their career. So I really, really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. I'll have you back on again. We can have some more time. We'll talk some more stuff.
1: Totally. That sounds great.
0: <laughs> awesome. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. All right, guys, there you go. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today, and I hope that you're able to put these wonderful things that we've talked about into practice into your career, like we talk about every week. And do me a favor. If you're liking the podcast, please subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to. Share it with all of your friends and family and anyone that you know is interested in getting into the music industry to make a living at doing what we love to do and what we have the great privilege of doing. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.